This is the Beyond the Studio podcast. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller, and we're here to help you figure out the business of being an artist. Here we'll have honest conversations with artists, makers, and business experts, and dive deep into the work that happens beyond the studio. If you find value in listening to these conversations, please consider leaving us a rating and a review or sharing some of your favorite episodes with your creative community. It's the easiest way to show us some love and help others find the podcast. Beyond the Studio is a fiscally sponsored project of Independent Arts and Media, I Am, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can now make contributions to the podcast by going over to our website, beyondthe.studio slash about. Just click on the button that says donate here. All donations made through IAM are tax deductible. Your support is greatly appreciated and goes directly towards sustaining the work of the podcast. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to share what you're learning beyond the studio, please consider submitting to our listener spotlight to be featured on our social media channels. It's also the best way to pitch yourself to be a guest on the show. Just follow the link in our show notes or on the contact page of our website, beyondthe.studio. And uh, thanks for listening. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, you have just your hosts, Nicole and I, Amanda, and uh, we will be back next week with guests, but we just wrapped up our 100th episode and we have more announcements, things to discuss, so we thought that Nicole and I would continue to touch base with y'all and welcome back. Yeah, if you missed our 100th episode of the podcast, we shared some really great listener insights on the future of the art world. Uh, we posed a question a couple of weeks ago uh, to listeners, uh, to you all on what when, what is one thing you would change in the art world, and we received a lot of written feedback that we shared last week on the podcast. Um, but we actually have a couple of recordings that we weren't able to include in last week's episode, but we wanted to share with you um, so that you can hear in their own words um, what are some things that uh, listeners would like to see in the future of the art world. So we have a couple of recordings to share with you here. You know, we got these a little bit later, so we didn't include them in the episode, but we're really open to including y'all's thoughts and feedback and things you're learning in the studio whenever you have them. So feel free to send us audio recordings and, you know, keep them under three minutes. It can also be an opportunity to promote your work or if you have something to share. So send those to our email at beyondthestudiopodcast at gmail.com and we'll include them in the next episode. Uh, We love hearing from you and we think you love hearing from you too. So this is another opportunity for us to continue to turn this podcast, which can feel very one-sided, into a conversation uh, between all of us. This first recording comes to us from Hannah Klein. Hey, Amanda and Nicole. My name is Hannah. I've been a fan of your show for around two years, and I'm so excited for the 100th episode. Congratulations. Something I want to change about the art world is the artist statement requirement and um, also the sort of academic blueprint for writing about the artwork. A fun fact I recently found out actually is that artist statements were not even introduced until the 90s. And I think that writing your intent can be super helpful for like providing more context um, to the viewer about the artwork, but since it's recently, and by recently, I mean in the last few decades, um, become a requirement, it seems like it has conflated the definition of art in some ways and also has limited access to the art world. Another fun fact is that 90% of colleges teach students how to write artist statements in a very specific and somewhat like pretentious way, I feel. Um, I know when I went to college, that's how I felt. Um, So I think it's kind of obvious that if you don't attend art school, you're left behind um, because of this artist statement requirement. I've also seen a lot of my non-art world friends like come to galleries with me and laugh at a lot of the artist statements that are there just because they are objectively confusing and there's way too much art speak. Um, And I've seen this happen mostly at like high up galleries and museums. Um, I don't want to completely bash on artist statements because I've definitely felt attracted to honest and unpretentious artist statements that convey a necessary meaning. And 
I feel like if people weren't required to write artist statements, especially with the pressure to make it sound super academic, um, artist statements could be a much more powerful and genuine tool just like across the board. Um, I think artist statements are also challenging for people who make purely sensory, sensory artwork like myself, um, that they intend to be entirely up for interpretation. So I feel like that kind of goes back to me saying that I feel like it conflates the definition of art because I feel like art doesn't always have to be um, explicable. So those are just some thoughts I have and I've had for a while as a graduated artist from a college that taught artist statements very religiously. Um, and yeah, congratulations again on a hundredth episode. I'm so excited to hear it. And thanks for inviting me to share my ideas. I would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Hannah, for submitting your thoughts. And Nicole, how do you feel about artist statements? <laughs> I definitely agree with Hannah about eliminating barriers to entry for artists and making the art world more accessible um, to both artists and non-artists. And I actually thought of uh, this article while Hannah was talking called The Artist Statement and Why They Mostly Suck, written by Kara Ober, one of our previous podcast guests from season one and the founder and editor of Be More Art. Um, and she has a great article about this and eliminating the kind of art speak um, that you so often find with artist statements. So we can include a link to that in our show notes um, and you should all check it out if you're looking for some guidance on writing statements that feel approachable and accessible. Yeah, and while you're at it, go listen to our interview with Kara Ober because she's fantastic. It's a, it's a great conversation. All right, and from Nick Smith. Although I think he goes by Nick Abstract. Yes, that is what I am seeing in the bio. Hey there, Amanda and Nicole. This is Nick Abstract. I'm a longtime listener, uh, first-time audio snippet sender. I really have enjoyed the podcast over the years. It's provided me a tremendous amount of, like, you know, just art conversations, business conversations. Um you mentioned needing some audio snippets for the 100th episode. I sadly didn't have my chance to send it due to being kind of busy here, but I'm sending it now. Hopefully that's worth something. Um, the question you posed was, what would you like to see, you know, for the future of, of art and the community with art? And I think I'd like to see more, uh, more older folks in the art scene being more supportive of kind of up and comers and not seeing them as a threat. I think that'd be super beneficial. Um, especially here in the Midwest, there's a little bit of like, um, you know, established artist sort of hoarding some of the opportunities or if they're not actually hoarding the opportunities, they're, uh, kind of talking down on others who are first starting or maybe making their way up the ranks of being a professional artist faster than them. Um, but it's not somebody's fault that they were born after um, and somebody's older than them. So we're all in this together. And I think that's something that we need to, you know, build from and, and keep moving. So um, really appreciate the podcast and keep crushing. Thank you so much, Nick, for your thoughts and for your snippet and submission. And thank you for supporting the podcast. And we totally agree. I think one of the the things that we try to talk about the most on the podcast is, I mean, I feel like I say that all the time. I'm like, this is the core of the podcast. And we have a lot of things that we're, a lot of uh, roots within this message that we're trying to share. And one of, one of those roots is the idea of community over competition. And I, I think it's so easy to assume that opportunity, and I may have said this on the podcast before, but it's like, we tell ourselves or the world tells us that opportunity is finite and that it almost is like a, a piece of pie that every opportunity that's taken away, that's less opportunity for you. When if we, you know, approach opportunity with community in mind, every opportunity leads to more opportunities. And I think when we approach an artist's career with the scarcity mindset, especially 
you know, at whatever stage of career we're in, it can really trip us up and make it difficult to participate in community. But when we realize that, uh, Nicole, I think you said this on like one of our first episodes, but like a rising tide lifts all ships. And I think about that all the time as far as the artist community, like mm-hmm. every artist that shines can lead to more opportunities for more artists to shine. And there's no reason to be, you know, greedy about it. <laughs> we, we're all doing our best. Agreed. We're all trying to make it. Agreed. We love this idea of intergenerational exchange. And this was something that came up in um, previous listener feedback around uh, promoting the arts as a viable career path and making the arts more accessible. Um, Yeah, I love this idea of being opportunity being generative and being generous. And we have a lot of really wonderful listener insights that came through. Uh, So go back and listen to our 100th episode where we share more of those if you haven't already. And thank you again for sending in your feedback. Um, It's also just really great to hear in your own words and in your own voice what you're thinking. So like Amanda said, we'd love to keep the door open and make this a regular thing if we could. So if you have thoughts or insights you'd like to share on what you'd like to see within the arts, uh, within the art world in the future, please let us know. Feel free to continue emailing us your audio recordings to beyondthestudiopodcast at gmail.com. And we would love to find a way to spotlight those in our future episodes. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be specific to the question, what do you want to see in the art world? It can be a learning experience you had in your studio, some amazing resource you just found that you think everyone should know about. Maybe, you know, you have some cool opportunity that that you're doing that can provide learning for other artists that you want to share with the community. Um, It really, again, is an opportunity for us to hear from each other, hear from you, and share our knowledge and our experiences. The thing that we got from Nick kind of reminded me of thing on Instagram I've been seeing go around and it looks like it was shared from Lizzie Rachel the Instagram name is L-I-Z-Z-I-E-R-A-J-C-H-E-L um, and it's this image that says you are still an artist if you pursued another career for financial stability you are still an artist if you have a survival job and make art when you can you are still an artist if you haven't created in a while. You are still an artist if you only make art as a hobby. And I feel like I've seen like five people today share that on Instagram. And I thought it was kind of relevant to some of the conversations that we plan on having today. This idea of expectations versus reality, which we'll get into after a couple announcements. But what Nick said kind of made me think about this where, you know, we're all just doing our best. We're all trying to find a way to make our work. And I wanted to share that because I really appreciated that sentiment. Yeah, I love that. Well, let's get to our announcements so that we can dive into this conversation. Um, We just wanted to remind everyone about our upcoming live podcast recording with the Institute of Contemporary Art San Francisco happening this month. Um, hopefully you've already saved the date for March 17th. Uh, that's a Thursday in the evening from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Uh, Amanda is flying out to San Francisco from Baltimore uh, to host this panel discussion at the ICASF, which will be recording to release on the podcast. And if you are based in the Bay Area, we really hope you'll come out and join us in person. You can register for this event online. Um, If you're on our mailing list already, then check your inbox because we've included that registration link in the episode announcement email um, that came out today. And we'll also share this link on social media. Uh, It's on Eventbrite. So if you're based in the Bay Area, please register uh, for free for this panel discussion and live podcast recording and come out and see us in person. That's Thursday, March 17th from 630 to 8 p.m. Yes. And again, it is a totally free event. Uh, We just have an Eventbrite for it because seats are limited And uh, we're really excited to meet you to host this conversation. We have been 
thinking about this and planning it for, I don't know, a few weeks now. And now we're a couple weeks away and we are super excited to be together in person, but also to be hosting a conversation that we really care about, about valuing artists in the art world and, you know, how we can support them and we artists, how we can support us. (laughs) Our second reminder, we just wanted to plug our giveaway that we announced last week in our 100th episode. Amanda and I are giving away 10 free subscriptions to Art World Learning, um, which are a series of online video-based courses to help you navigate the business aspects crucial to successful creative careers. Art World Learning explains the ecosystem of funding, finance, and business in a way that's approachable, non-judgmental, and applicable to creatives and freelancers who often find themselves torn between doing their work and tending to administrative details. Uh, We're really grateful to our friends Dexter and Heather at Art World Learning for generously providing these free subscriptions to Beyond the Studio listeners. And to enter our giveaway, all you have to do is leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and send us a screenshot. Um, you can email us at beyondthestudiopodcast at gmail.com or send us a DM on Instagram. Uh, just leave us a rating and review before March 17th. That's also the date of our live ICASF panel. Um, and we'll be notifying 10 winners via email. Uh, with a free Art World Learning subscription. Woohoo! All right, should we get into today's topic of conversation? Yes, we should. Um, we wanted to have a conversation about this idea of expectations versus reality uh, as it relates to being an artist, time management. Uh, Last year, Amanda created a graphic, an illustrated pie chart of uh, expectations versus reality of being a full-time artist. And on the left, there's a pie chart with the expectation that you'll just make and sell art. And on the right is a pie chart with the reality, which includes uh, a bunch of different slices of the pie, including making art, emails, social media, planning, writing, inventory, cleaning and organizing, documenting work, bookkeeping, budgeting, packing and shipping, applications, research, uh, running errands, uh, so many things that go into um, running a sustainable art practice. And that's not even to mention... Uh, things outside of that, like uh, working other part-time or even full-time jobs to support your creative work, or things like caregiving, uh, if you're taking care of a family or loved ones in your life. And Amanda created this illustration for a panel we did at the Maryland Institute College of Art on art and entrepreneurship. And recently, it's been shared a lot over social media, And I think the reason this resonates with so many people is that um, there is just so much other work that goes into being an artist that uh, most people don't get to see. Um, And so that's kind of what we wanted to talk about today. And I think that's a lot of um, what we talk about on the podcast is just making the real work of being an artist more visible. Um, and being really transparent about what that looks like. And uh, Amanda distilled this into an illustration that um, I think really seems to resonate. And so we just thought this would be a good opportunity to uh, come on just the two of us and talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think I created that because I I'm constantly doubting myself on how I'm spending my time in the studio and constantly critiquing what my own pie chart looks like and thinking like, oh God, I can't believe that I just spent like four hours on emails and I didn't sew a single thing and it doesn't feel like I actually got any work done because my inbox looks exactly the same as it did before those four hours. Um, Or, you know, the times where I have to decide, you know, do I spend all this time making a 
fucking video for Instagram or TikTok, which I have reluctantly joined. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not good at it. But I think that, you know, it, you're like, oh, do I spend all these hours filming myself as I work to create some video to promote my work, even though it takes me away from creating the work. But those are the things that show people your work. It's like, it's hard to feel like you're using your time wisely, or you're using your time well in the studio when the time in the studio is constantly going to look different. And all these things that we do, the the boring, busy work, it's in support of the art. And it was actually really affirming or really, um, it helped me to see how many people it resonated with. And granted, everyone's pie chart's going to look a little different, uh, depending on what our workloads look like. And, you know, you may have a lot more pieces that are in my pie chart, or maybe less, or, you know, maybe they're totally different. But it really helps to know how many people it resonated with to think like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. <laughs> we all have these, these kind of chaotic studio days where you're you know, photographing your work for 20 minutes, and then you're answering emails for a couple hours. And then maybe you have to run a bunch of errands, or you have to order supplies, or you have to follow up again on emails or whatever. Yeah, and I think it touches on something that um, we also talk a lot about on the podcast. And it's this idea that artists are, are entrepreneurs, they are small business owners. And I think there's a definite shift that happens when you're thinking about how to support and sustain a creative career long term. And there are all of these other things beyond the art making that go into creating a sustainable artistic practice, um, whether that's finding ways for your work to financially support you or working other jobs in order to afford yourself more time in the studio, um, whatever the breakdown looks like. Um, I think part of what we just wanted to highlight is that even in those cases where you've, you know, become a quote unquote full-time artist, uh, the reality of that is so much more than just being in the studio and making work all day. And I feel like that image is so, uh, somehow so embedded in, I don't know, kind of romantic ideas that I used to have as an art student or you know, as a young person of what it would look like to pursue a career as an artist. And even now, like I, I hear reactions from artists sometimes on who, who are a little bit resistant to that idea that, you know, well, it, you should just be in your studio all the time making work or there should be a gallery or somebody else who takes care of these things like social media for you. <laughs> and I find that idea to be or that perspective to be kind of disempowering to artists. I agree, because I think, and maybe this isn't where you were going with it, but I I think I start, when I started Close Call Studio, the goal in my brain was like to grow it to the extent that I could hire people to start outsourcing the stuff that took me away from the art making. And maybe that will happen in my future at some point, or maybe it won't. But I have realized a lot over the years of running my business that actually having my hand in every aspect of it is really, I don't know, beneficial to how I think about the business and how I approach it. And I, I think about this in terms of like my finances too. It's like the more clear I am about where my money is, how much I have, where and when it's <laughs> going, uh, the less stressed out I am about it, even if that number is really low. And frankly, I mean, we did an episode about getting out of debt. And I'm right now, again, pretty much in just as much debt as I was at that conversation <laughs> before. Uh, but because I have a clear vision on how to pay it off and how to navigate it, and I understand why it's there, it's easier for me to work through it. And same way with you know, with the art business, it's like the more I understand what people are responding to and the timing of the work and what opportunities are coming my way and how many of those opportunities are actually leading to fruition and a real thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of power in, in understanding how your business runs, even the, the parts that feel very non-creative when those also can be opportunities for really creative responses. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, you know, having certain expectation of how your work or life as an artist is going to look or should look can lead to a lot of self-doubt or questioning around, you know, how you're spending your time. And I think the that kind of expectation that, you know, all of your time is going to be spent making your art or being in the studio, it either assumes that, you know, you're coming from a place of privilege where you don't necessarily have to think about all of these things, like how you're going to make a living or pay your bills. And so there's maybe this unacknowledged safety net with artists that, you know, expect to be able to spend all of their time in the studio without kind of thinking about, you know, the the business aspect of their artistic practice. Or again, you know, the idea that there will eventually be somebody else to run and manage this or take care of it for you, whether it be a gallery um, or some kind of a dealer is, uh, to me, that's like sort of, a, again, part of this like old art world model that frankly disempowers artists because it keeps them out of the equation. But somehow I think, you know, it's led to artists feeling to these feelings of guilt or shame around having day jobs or, you know, doing other things that are not directly related to their studio work as if it's somehow diminishing the quality or commitment to their artistic practice. And I just think, again, there's a lot to kind of unpack with that expectation side of it about you know, why that is, why it's damaging to artists, um, and why it just doesn't reflect the reality of most artists' lives and situations. And um, on the other hand, though, you know, shifting your thinking around your artistic practice, um, you know, as and adopting that business mentality, realizing that you know, whether your goal is for your work to financially support you or not, that there are all these other things in your life uh, that you have to kind of deal with in order to get to the studio or focus on your work, that that's all, you know, that that's all a natural part of making a living as an artist. And that's, um, that's perfectly fine and normal. And I think that's where, you know, being more open and transparent about that reality side of the illustration. I mean, I think that definitely is one of again back to just all i do is repeat myself listen to one episode and you've heard them all just kidding um (laughs) but i feel like that goes back to kind of the idea of why we started the podcast is we had these expectations and were kind of slapped in the face by reality and realized like how long have these misconceptions existed like how long have artists had a misunderstanding of what their careers can look like and how long have you know young artists been thinking like what the hell can an art career even look like I mean I I kind of feel like I didn't have a clear vision of what it it looked like until I was able to like actually make some money off of my art and I was like oh this is literally it this is this is it it's just the art with the money and however that looks for you is however it looks for you but it felt I don't know, it felt really vague. And so whatever we can do, again, to demystify that, to set some clearer examples of the reality so that the expectations can match that reality. Um, And granted, I mean, I I feel like my expectations are always (laughs) shifting and I'm learning the daily lesson of like, just don't expect anything. Just don't expect it until it's concrete. Um, You know, whether that's in work opportunities or in relationships. But I think whatever we can do to kind of uncurl ourselves from identifying with the expectations and realizing that the reality is extremely normal, not that there's a normal, but we all are doing things that look very unartistic to support our artistic practices and it's all a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. When I first moved out to California, I had left behind a full-time job 
in Baltimore for the first time to try and shift focus onto my studio practice. And I was also picking up freelance work and I was working part-time and I was trying to grow my painting practice into something that could support me full-time. And I just remember feeling so much self-doubt in that period because I wasn't sure what was going to yield results for me. I was feeling guilty if I wasn't in the studio, but even when things started to get busier and I was, you know, applying to lots of things, I was starting to take on temporary projects, I was, you know, doing commissions here and there, I was, you know, selling a little bit of work, I was preparing for some exhibitions, I felt like I was doing all of this work, but it wasn't necessarily getting me closer to those financial goals and in fact I really ended up in the red in those first couple of years and we talk about this on past episodes um, you know that process of me paying off that debt uh, starting working other full-time jobs uh, until I eventually left my last full-time role to to really pursue my painting practice full-time and I'm I'm almost uh, coming up on a year of that now, but I think my own perceptions around the reality of being a full-time artist has shifted drastically once I realized that some of these artistic goals I had were not the same as some of these financial goals that I had. And ultimately the work that was going to yield some of the biggest return in terms of being able to, you know, sustain a creative practice Um, generate new opportunities or new public projects or painting sales was not actually you know spending all of my days in the studio but it was focusing on things like outreach email communications uh, sending out regular newsletters letting you know art consultants people that I've worked with know what I'm up to Uh, You know, a lot of these unglamorous aspects of your work and life are really what kind of drive some of those, you know, business or financial goals forward, if you want to call it that. And I just think if I had had a clearer picture earlier on of what that reality looked like, it could have saved me from a lot of doubt and insecurity Um, in those first couple of years moving out to California and not knowing how I should be spending my time, you know, what, what was going to yield results, whether or not what I was doing was getting me closer to my goals. Um, I just think what you were saying, Amanda, about not having a clear frame of reference or just having a really vague picture of what being a full-time artist looked like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gave me a lot of, uh, a lot of doubts, but I think I feel... A little bit better about that now although there are still doubts for sure but I just think you know how I spend my days and how I spend my time I feel much more secure in that and feeling comfortable with not being in the studio eight hours a day painting because I realize there are all these other things that contribute to my ability to sustain a career and you know, that's, that's the work. Um, like you were saying it, you know, all of those boring things or all of that administrative stuff, that is the the work and that's part of it. And so I think, you know, removing that sense of guilt around, I'm spending four hours today <laughs> sending emails or updating my website or, you know, logging inventory, editing images of my work when I feel like I should be, you know, making more work, painting in the studio, Um, I think just recognizing that that's all equally important and that's, you know, that's the reality of what it is to support a practice full time. Yeah. And maybe you end up making a podcast that involves no visual art making in support of your practice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like so, so much of the artistic experience for me has been about learning to accept the reality of what my art practice looks like and to not be so self-critical and and judgmental on how I'm spending my time. And like, I, I still find myself getting really frustrated with myself when I have days that 
may be incredibly big, quote unquote, productive days where I've, you know, handled a bunch of things off of my to do list. But because I didn't get to any actual art making, I'm like, well, what a waste. But that's all part of it. And then on the opposite end, I don't know if you feel this, but the days where I'm like, I am not looking at my email. My phone is in the other room for the whole day. I am just going to lock myself in the studio and create with no distractions. I feel super guilty when I do that because then I'm like, oh, I like didn't get back to my emails or someone's waiting for an invoice or, you know, I forgot to post something about this or, oh, I still have to like list stuff on my website or I haven't made any sales today. So am I even being an artist today? Like, <laughs> you know, just the, the constant slew of self-criticism and it's like, my God, I mean, it's so hard to even get to the point where you can accept yourself as an artist and be like, I am an artist and just identify as such and to say it and then to battle the constant self-criticism along the way. God, we must really love doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the more transparent we can be about all of these other aspects of supporting our creative work the more um, confident we can be in making those choices or in spending our time, you know, either fully in the studio some days or focused on all these other things and, you know, just feel more secure in the knowledge that this is all moving our work forward. And I feel like that also requires a bit of a, like for us to step back and to kind of look at the bigger picture. And, you know, we talk about creative careers being really, self-defined and really relying on our own definitions of success and identifying what our goals are. And I think answering some of those bigger picture questions can help to clarify what the day-to-day -day looks like. We were talking about this earlier before we were recording, but there's that, I think it's called the Pareto Principle or the 80-20 Rule. And it's this idea that 80% of outcomes are a result of 20% of causes. And I feel like you could apply this to time management, like 80% of your results are from 20% of your work or productivity, or it could be related to finances. So 80% of your income is coming through 20% of your efforts. And so however you want to interpret that 80-20 um, principle, I think, to me, I, th I think of that in terms of um, time management because it is so easy to get caught up in the busy work or to feel like you're kind of spinning your wheels and, um, you know, you're working really hard uh, or you're, you know, spending a lot of time on various things, but you're not sure if it's getting you closer to your goals or, you know, you just don't know if this is, yeah, helping you build the kind of creative life that you're envisioning. And so I think having a clear picture of what those goals are uh, is really helpful. And that's sort of the first step. And then also being able to identify like, what are those things that are actually helping you achieve those? And that's where I think some of that clarity around what the day-to-day -day looks like comes in because, um, again, when I realized that, oh, actually this like email outreach or communicating with prospective clients is really important to being able to generate projects or to spend more time painting in the studio, um, that was one light bulb moment that you know made me feel a little less guilty around maybe time spent in front of a computer when I felt like I should be in the studio or vice versa, you know, and I think, I also think back to something that uh, Katie Pumphrey said in our interview a couple months ago, a uh, Baltimore-based painter, and she's been a full-time artist, a full-time painter for a number of years, and she talked about a creative career being like a, like a carousel or a roller coaster that never comes back around to the same point. <laughs> and just that every year looks totally different. And I really love that analogy because I think, you know, something else that's true is that that pie chart is always going to look different. You know, there's always going to be 
whether it's seasonal ebbs and flows or, um, you know, there's always an element of experimentation. Uh, so even if you have uh, found a kind of a business model for your artistic practice that seems to be working, there are always going to be uh, new elements or new circumstances that disrupt that. And so I think just being comfortable with that, you know, level of constant change is is one of the hardest parts about running your own business, but I think it's so important for creatives and I'm even having to remind myself of that in this time where I feel like, you know, I'm not sure what the next six months to a year is going to look like. And that feels really scary sometimes. It's sort of counter to my personality of wanting to plan ahead and know what's next. But I think, you know, really the nature of a creative career is that there's always going to be an element of the unknown. Um, and I know we've talked about this in the past with you, Amanda, and how drastically your own business model shifted throughout the pandemic mm-hmm. um, in the interview that we did with you. But I feel like there are so many examples of that being true. And so, you know, not only does our, our day-to-day fluctuate and include all of these other responsibilities besides the art making, um, but it also is going to change over time and, you know, no two weeks or months or years are going to look alike. And I think that's just a part of, you know, building a creative career or being a full-time artist. I definitely noticed when I made the, so I made a pie chart for, I talked about it on my episode, but yeah, a pie chart for my finances from 2018 and a pie chart for my finances from 2020 as and compared them as far as like where my streams of income were coming from and yeah they looked completely different whole fields existed in one that did not exist in another and vice versa and I mean even the day-to-day it's a constant it's a constant roller coaster or carousel whichever it's hard to even develop expectations with an artistic career because it is so unpredictable and it is constantly changing and I feel like the um, the lessons learned in previous years versus the lessons learned in the more recent years sometimes they kind of cancel each other out where you know I mean even in my first episode where you interviewed me when we started the podcast and I was like oh yeah it's all about wholesale it's all about doing this it's all about doing this and now I'm like actually I've since learned the opposite is the case and I imagine that those contradictions and that like constant shift it's gonna be happening at every stage because maybe you know in my 20s I can say yes to things because I have the energy and it's all about just like taking opportunities on whatever I can but maybe 30s 40s 50s 60s whatever you know at different stages of life I'll be like well it's not sustainable to be working myself at that rate and at that level and I can't be you know doing markets all the time like I did at 22 or whatever you know it's it's a constant shift with different lessons learned and I mean, I haven't put together my finances or pie chart for my 2022, but I imagine, again, it's even different from the 2020 pie chart, which was still, you know, also during the pandemic. And yeah, things that worked two years ago in my business are not working in my business now. And I'm trying to find ways to change with it and it's definitely a challenge, but I think it probably is going to always be a part of kind of the artistic career is this unpredictable nature of, of having to be willing to adapt to whatever direction your career is taking you in. Yeah, that adaptability is so huge. And even in the expectations versus reality illustration, where you have, you know, all of these things on the reality side in pie chart you know obviously there's not an even distribution of all of them at any given point in time it's like some days you might be spending all of your time on admin work sometimes might be all packing and shipping some days might be all related to you know your studio work but yeah that ebb and flow I think is also 
a big part of it. And I feel like that 80-20 rule kind of centers on learning to identify what what that 20% is that's actually yielding 80% of your results or outcome and then trying to do more of that. So I feel like it's always... Uh, you know, evaluating what your own personal pie chart looks like and then figuring out what areas you want to grow or diminish, whether it's looking at your how you're spending your time, like the time management pie chart, or maybe your finances, like what kind of income streams do you have? I feel like that's something we're constantly in the process of doing. You know, if you if you are feeling unhappy with how you're spending your time currently or you know you want to be spending more time in the studio or you want to be spending more time on something else then are there other areas of that pie that you can cut down over time in order to allow for that or you know if you realize that the majority of your income is coming from a specific source how can you grow that slice of your pie or if there are things that you're doing that make you really unhappy that you're Uh, you know, you don't want to be doing long-term, then how can you diminish that while growing other pieces of your pie? And so I feel like this pie chart analogy is really helpful (laughs) as visual artists. Um, And thinking of it in terms of, uh, you know, sometimes these are going to be big overnight shifts caused by a global pandemic, and other times they're going to be kind of slow, slowly more conscious decisions that, you know, you're orchestrating over time. But one way or another, the pie chart's going to change. So I think just being open to that and learning to be comfortable with this element of not knowing. And uh, like you were saying, Amanda, being adaptable, which I think, you know, as artists is, is something that, you know, that's a trait that most artists have. And so I think it's really a matter of honing that skill and kind of training yourself to be more creative in all areas of your life. Yeah, that adaptability is definitely part of the like default artist toolkit. Yeah, I know um, definitely I've been experiencing the adaptability as far as my like work time actually looks. Like I felt like during the holiday season, my days were way longer as far as my work hours and you know it was a lot more stress and after the holiday season I kind of always go through a bit of a burnout period and feel a little exhausted I don't know so I feel like I had a couple months of like okay now I'm basically doing the opposite of working all of my hours to kind of trying to find ways to do the other work I don't know I I mean I know we've talked about it before on the podcast where like the, the work can be very seasonal, and I am constantly surprised as, at how different every season is from the previous season and even the same season of the previous year, and yeah, it's an adventure. I think it probably always will be. <laughs> yeah. Part of why we wanted to have this conversation about expectations versus reality is because regardless of where these expectations come from, if it's through you know, external sources or ideas of what it means to be an artist that we learned through, through art school, through you know, other um, examples, uh, you know, other people's perceptions of what it looks like to be an artist, or through the kind of, uh, you know, mysterious picture that social media paints where we tend to only see the outcome or the final results of what you know often involved years of work um, or just our own personal expectations that we place on you know what our own vision for our life or career looks like um I think the truth is the reality is often far different from that and so we always aim to be transparent about what that artist journey looks like and you know how we're really spending our time, um, what really goes into building a sustainable career. And these are the kinds of conversations that we aim to have with other artists. And our belief is that the more transparent we are, the more that other artists will feel empowered um, 
in their own life or at least you know gain a little bit of reassurance around maybe how they're <laughs> spending their time or uh, to think a little differently about um, you know what your own pie chart looks like because I think that's where um, that's where we're able to start making more informed decisions and you know are able to eliminate some of the guilt or self-doubt that comes with um, feeling like you're your pie chart doesn't look the way it should. So that's what we hope to do. And um, I'm sure we'll continue having more conversations with other artists about um, their own expectations versus reality. But it's something that's been top of mind for us lately. And we wanted to uh, just come on and do an episode about it since um, that illustration has been appearing um, a lot on social media and we wanted to just kind of unpack that a little bit, what inspired it, and to talk a little bit more about what it means to each of us. Yeah, and definitely go easy on yourselves with, with the expectations. I think it's really easy to get in our heads and it tends to not be the best place, but the reality is you're an artist and you're doing the work and you're doing the best you can. And sometimes things look the way you expected them to. And sometimes they don't, but you're creating and the work that you're doing to support that creativity and and support that art making is all a part of it. And whether that's in the studio or outside of it or in another job, it's all, it's all part of what allows you to be the artist that you are. That's it for this episode of the Beyond the Studio podcast. You can find show notes, references, and a brief summary of the episode over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to find out about upcoming guests, special announcements, and podcast giveaways. Don't forget, if you're a fan of the podcast, please leave us a rating and review, submit to our listener spotlight, and if you want to support the podcast by making a tax-deductible donation, head over to our website, beyondthe.studio. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, words, we begin again. Um, <laughs> Remember when we used to do blooper reels? <laughs> yeah, I think about that every once this in a while. This can go on the blooper reel. And I was like, should I bring those back? Did, did people enjoy it? No one ever commented on it. And I don't know if it made us look less professional or if it was even funny, but I found them funny. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I'll drop this in at the end, see if people miss the bloopers. Let us know if you miss the bloopers. I liked them, but yeah, I don't know if we ever got feedback on them. Yeah. Specifically. It's like, we're an art podcast with bloopers. Look how zany we we are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyways, starting on take three. Take three.